Common Law Wives and Concubines, Essays on Covenantal Christianity and Contemporary Western Culture, Stephen C. Perks. This is a Reconstructionist radio production with lrnteach.com. Please visit kuiper.org forward slash books to download or purchase this book. Common Law Wives and Concubines, Essays on Covenantal Christianity and Contemporary Western Culture, Stephen C. Perks, 2010, Kuiper Foundation, Taunton, England, narrated by Nathan Conkey. Chapter 11. What happened to the Protestant work ethic? According to Max Weber, the word calling is known, quote, only to those languages influenced by the Protestant translations of the Bible. The concept of a calling, explains Weber, quote, expresses the value placed upon rational activity carried on according to the rational capitalistic principle as a fulfillment of a God-given task, end quote. He also pointed out that, quote, if we trace the history of the word through the civilised languages, it appears that neither the predominantly Catholic peoples nor those of classical antiquity had possessed any expression of similar connotation for what we know as calling in the sense of a life task, a definite field in which to work, while one has existed for all predominantly Protestant peoples. It may be further shown that this is not due to any ethnical peculiarity of the languages concerned, end quote. It is the concept of the calling that is the origin of the Protestant work ethic, which has been a decisive religious influence on the rise of capitalism in Britain and in the United States over the past four centuries. Prior to the Reformation, there had been various kinds of capitalistic activity, and Weber himself emphasised that, quote, certain important forms of capitalistic business organisation are known to be considerably older than the Reformation, end quote. These forms of capitalism, however, were, quote, predominantly of an irrational and speculative character, or directed to acquisition by force, above all, acquisition of booty, whether directly in war, or in the form of fiscal booty by exploitation of subjects, end quote. Weber gave the term, quote, capitalistic adventurer, end quote, to those who pursued this kind of capitalistic activity. A good example of this kind of capitalistic activity was the conquest of Mexico by Hernando Cortés in the 16th century. Walter Raleigh and Francis Drake are good Protestant examples of the capitalistic adventurer. The desire for profit, that is, the acquisitive impulse, has of course characterised human activity throughout history. It is not a unique feature of Western capitalism. But the kind of capitalism that developed in Northern Europe after the Reformation and that was bequeathed to North America by the Protestant colonists was a very particular kind of outworking of the acquisitive impulse. What distinguished the latter from the kind of activity engaged in by the capitalistic adventurer was the constraints placed upon the acquisitive impulse by the moral dictates of the Protestant religion, the Protestant ethic or asceticism, to use Weber's terms. The devout Protestant was constrained by his duty to work for God in his calling, his life task, according to the moral dictates of the Christian religion. Honesty, hard work and thrift characterise his understanding of his calling in life under God. 
As a result, rather than seeking the acquisition of wealth by means of irrational and speculative activities, what characterized the economic activities of devout Protestants was the subordination of the acquisitive impulse to the Protestant ethic. Under these religious constraints, capitalistic activity could only develop by means of economic rationalization. And it is this process of economic rationalization that characterizes the Protestant form of capitalism described by Weber in his essay, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. For those who labored under the Protestant ethic, economic rationalization was the only means of economic betterment. Thus, the Protestant doctrine of the calling, along with the Protestant work ethic, produced what has been called the, quote, industrious sort of people, unquote. That is, a culture that prioritized industrious activity based on economic rationalization. The early settlers who crossed the Atlantic from England to colonize North America were the product of this culture. With them, they carried the religious impulse that created the Protestant work ethic, which was ultimately to issue in what has been called the American dream. But the operative word here is ultimately, because the Protestant work ethic only led to the American dream when the religious impulse of the original Protestant work ethic had been lost. At the end of his general economic history, Weber claimed that the religious impulse of the early period of Western capitalism had been abandoned by the beginning of the Age of Iron in the 19th century. What happened was that the Protestant work ethic was secularized, and it is the secularized version, or rather various secularized versions, of the Protestant work ethic that now motivate Western capitalism. This has led to a reversion to pre-Reformation methods of satisfying the acquisitive impulse for many. In Britain, the continuous exploitation of subjects by means of fiscal booty is now well advanced. This is due to the predominance of socialism, which has largely replaced the religious impulse of the Christian faith in Britain, at least in terms of what we might call the national consciousness. Evidenced, for example, by the sacred status of the state-run healthcare and education systems. Socialism is a secularized religion that aims to replace Christianity and its form of economic organization, capitalism. In the USA, this process of secularization has not developed in the same way that it has in Britain. The American economic dream is a secularized version of the Protestant work ethic. But because the religious impulse has gone, the possibilities of reversion to the pre-Reformation methods of satisfying the acquisitive impulse are there. That is, for example, political exploitation of subjects by means of fiscal booty and irrational speculative forms of capitalistic adventurism. In North America, it is perhaps the latter, that is, irrational and speculative capitalism that predominates, whereas in Britain, with her socialist state and its continuous exploitation of subjects by means of fiscal booty that predominates, and is likely to get much worse the closer we get to European political integration. Though, of course, political exploitation is to be found in the USA, and irrational and speculative capitalism is present in Britain. In this context, we might note Weber's interesting comment that, quote, 
where the fulfilment of the calling cannot directly be related to the highest spiritual and cultural values, or when, on the other hand, it need not be felt simply as economic compulsion, the individual generally abandons the attempt to justify it at all. In the field of its highest development in the United States, the pursuit of wealth, stripped of its religious and ethical meaning, tends to become associated with purely mundane passions, which often actually give it the character of sport. End quote. The Protestant work ethic, when stripped of its religious impulse, becomes mere materialism. And in the vacuum left by Christianity in the West, society has opened up to other religious influences, for example, secular humanism, New Ageism, the Green Movement, even Islam. This will eventually produce a very different culture, since the multicultural, that is, multi-religious society, is only a staging post on the road to the domination of society by a new religious worldview. The emptiness of the more consistently secularised version of the Protestant work ethic that now dominates the West, a form of materialism, has made this process inevitable. Most of these religious alternatives are now exerting a strong influence on the West and are very apparent in both Britain and the USA. This is not meant to be a critique of capitalism, but it is a critique of the reduction of human life and society to the economic aspect of life. Capitalism, properly understood as private ownership of the means of economic production and distribution, is the form of economic organisation that has come nearest historically to the kind of economic organisation of society required by Christianity. But it is one aspect of society, not the whole of it. To reduce the whole of life to the economic aspect, whether on the socialist or the capitalist model, is a form of idolatry of the economic function of man's life and can only end in the demeaning of human life and the political enslavement of mankind, as it has done in Britain. The answer to such idolatry, whether on the socialist or the individualistic model, is not to abandon Western capitalism, but to revivify it with the spirit that enabled it to develop so effectively in the first place. That is, the Christian understanding of man's calling under God. Protestantism, via its work ethic, bequeathed to North America the necessary spiritual and intellectual capital to make its economic development possible. But the religious impulse behind this form of capitalism has now largely gone, as it has in Britain, in which there were more institutional and cultural constraints hindering its unfettered development. Both nations now lay open to influences that, if triumphant, will produce forms of capitalistic acquisition more akin to the irrational, speculative and exploitative forms of economic acquisition that characterised pre-Reformation economic activity. Indeed, this is already happening. In Britain, spiritual apostasy in the form of a reduction of human society to the economic aspect of life has produced the growth of, quote, soft, unquote, totalitarianism, supported by the ideology of secular humanism. Economic activity is increasingly geared to controlling the wealth that already exists by means of political manipulation, rather than the unfettered creation of wealth. In the USA, there has likewise been a process of secularization. 
But this has not been dominated by socialistic ideals to the extent that it has in Britain. Whereas the ideology of socialism provided meaning for many in Britain during the 20th century, all sorts of different ideologies have provided this in the USA. To the British, therefore, the USA seems a land of extremes and contradictions. To use religious terminology, we could perhaps say that the real difference between the two nations is that the form of idolatry that characterises the USA is more a kind of individualistic polytheism, whereas, at least until recently, the idolatry of the British nation has been more monotheistic and more focused ideologically as a result. The former produces a more, quote, anything goes, unquote, culture of personal fulfilment, a do your own thing, get what you can out of life culture, but with a greater degree of economic freedom. The latter has produced in Britain a socialistic, over-regulating state that seeks to control just about everything. Security is what is offered, but the cost is freedom, and the security turns out to be substandard. Of course, these are pure types, to borrow one of Weber's phrases, and both nations have a particular mix of both these elements. The differences may not last long, though, since the phenomenal success of the culture that Hollywood is exporting around the world means that not only Britain, but much of the world is now drinking deep at the trough of the secular humanist religious idolatry that underpins the American dream. This great American export is one of the most culturally destructive forces in the modern world, since it undermines the values that made Western civilization possible and leaves society spiritually defenseless against ideologies and religions that are alien to the religious foundations of Western culture. When the abandonment of Christianity is complete, we shall lose not only the outward symbols that identify Britain as a Christian nation, but those vital Western ideals such as individual freedom, the rule of law, the rule of law, the concept that one is innocent until proven guilty, the belief that the strong have a duty to help the weak, all ideals that were largely unknown to the world before Christianity was in the ascendant and will continue to decline in the West until Christianity triumphs over all foes and becomes the foundation stone of our culture once again, providing meaning and purpose in the whole of life, including the economic organisation of society. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom. <laughs>